Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we have a special guest, the senior pastor of the Harbor Churches, Tom Ellenboss, brings us a powerful message where he asks us to consider choosing Jesus. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tom. Good morning. My name is Tom Ellenboss, and... It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's been, I've been here a couple times uh, over the last couple of months. You may have seen me wandering in the back. If we've never met before, hello. I would like to meet you at some point. Uh, and so you may have met my daughter before you met me. She uh, does some guest services stuff here. She's not here this morning. She's dealing with some vertigo issues. So unfortunately, I come and she doesn't. I don't know what that's about, but um, so uh, if I if you've been here a long time, you might know who I am or have met me. Uh, I was here 12 years ago when we first started the church, and um, was the pastor, the planting pastor of this church, and then a couple years after that, became the senior pastor of Harbor Churches. So my job is to work with. Uh, we have six churches now, and a seventh on the way. We're kind of pregnant uh, for another church downtown Grand Rapids, and so my job is to work with the staff and with the pastors and kind of. Um, work with those six churches, but then also we have a lot of global churches that we're in partnership with, and so I get a chance to do some mission stuff with church planting around the world as well. So I had a great opportunity uh, on behalf of our churches over the last couple weeks. I just got back uh, late Tuesday night, uh, was gathered uh, with church planters from all around Europe that we're connected with who met in Ireland for a retreat uh, with, along with partners from the United States. And then we went to the different countries uh, where we're partnered with. And so um, some of you may remember the Hungarian church. It's been a couple of years since we all traveled, uh, but we were doing an every other year thing with them. The Hungarians would come here one year and then we would go there the next year. And, um, and so they'll be back. Actually, Daniel, one of our planters and his wife, Eva, will be here June 11 to 25. So maybe some of you will be able to connect. I think he's gonna be on the stage here one of those days. But I got to go to Hungary and be with our church planters in Debertson. Uh, and then there's some new church planting that's happening in a place called Seged too, uh, and was able to be there and bring greetings from all of you, uh, even though you didn't give greetings ahead of time, I did that on your behalf, hope that's okay. Uh, but they uh, give greetings back, and uh, so it's wonderful to be involved in, in that kind of work. Um, so this morning, we're gonna, look in, uh, we're gonna look into Matthew chapter nine. We're gonna continue the series that we've been doing in the book of Matthew, and I wanna step into some things there this morning, and hopefully we'll uh, hear from the Lord this morning. Uh, but I want to tell you first of all a little bit about me. I'm kind of a um, kind of a word nerd. I love words. Uh, I had this thing when I was in college. Um, part of it was I think I grew I grew up in Zealand and I grew up and I didn't read a lot as a young guy. I mean I read a little bit just to get by and I did okay in my classes. And then I got to college and college was much harder than I expected it to be. And so I'm reading these books and I'm like I don't even know what these words mean. They make no sense to me. So if you find some of my books uh, and you go to the very back, in the back will be words written in the in the back of the book. And then I would take those words and I put them on, on a whiteboard on my wall and then I would put the definition because I, I didn't want to look stupid in my classes, you know. And so I wanted to know what these words were. And so to this day, I have this habit still. In fact, if you open one of my books, you might find words in, in the back. And so I collect words. And now I've kind of fallen in love with words. And, uh, and I have a little uh, note in my phone that's actually words that I have come across recently that I don't know. Here, I'll share a couple with, with you. They're really awesome. See if you know these words. Somnambulistic. 
Awesome, huh? I'm not going to tell you that you got to look them up too. So, uh, fuliginous. Anybody ever heard of that word? No? Okay. Uh, I didn't hear it either, so it, I mean, it's, it's not you. Menologian. Sounds like something from Star Wars, doesn't it? Uh, maybe that's a new thing coming out on Disney Plus. I don't know. Uh, lugubrious. Or this is one of my favorites, thalwag. There's all these great English words that, you know, that, that we don't know, and I, I get a little bit nerdy about that. Do you know that every year there are new words that are added to the dictionary? Words that we sort of use regularly, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, Webster's decides, oh, this is, they're using it enough that we should put it in the dictionary. Two words that became new in 2021, and you might be surprised by this. Uh, have you ever used this word in a sentence? Adulting? As a verb? You know, as a, as a guy with a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old, I can use that word a little bit. Uh, they're, they're adulting right now. So that just became a part of the dictionary in 2021. And this one might surprise you. Contactless. Shouldn't surprise you because we use that an awful lot in 2020 and 2021. But how, uh, how we use words is really interesting too to me. Uh, I don't know if you know these words, etymology. That's like the study of words and how they came to be, where they came from, those kind of things. And then there's uh, something called a semantic range of words. And you might not know what semantic range means, but Tim teaches you about this all the time. So he'll tell you about a Hebrew. Has he ever told you any Hebrew words? He taught you a few of those, right? And one of the things that he's often doing in his sermons, he's teaching you about the semantic range of a word because it can mean something over here, but in different contexts, it might mean something over here. Um, and so interesting, I, you know, we get a little nerdy about etymology and the semantic range of words and those kind of things. See, word nerd. I think Tim's a little bit of a word nerd too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You can like nod when I say stuff, Tim, you know? You respond to the preacher a little bit, you know? Um, uh, I also think it's important to pay attention to what we mean when we say words. It matters that we say what we mean and we mean what we say and that we don't say things that are mean. You know what I mean? Did you catch all that? It's important to be careful about how we use words and what we say. And I'm getting a little bit older. Uh, I just turned 50. So uh, I, was in, I told you I was in Hungary and they said I'm now on the B side. Some of you know what that means. You're on the B side too. It's like you used to take a cassette and push eject. And some of you are like, what's a cassette? Um, <laughs> and you'd flip it over, right? And stick it back in. Or when technology got really cool, you could push the button and it would flip. Uh, or it would just flip at the end and then you could play continuously. Anyway, I'm on the B side now. But on the B side, I am appreciating silence a little more. I'm trying to listen a little more and speak a little less. I also realize, especially with kids, um, and maybe this is a part of getting older too, because I recognize in myself that words hurt. I'm recognizing how much words hurt more and more. I recognize that when it happens to my kids, when they're hurt, uh, I'm thinking back on my life and I'm recognizing there have been times when someone flung words into the space between us and then they stuck on me and I wish I could get them off, but I can't and they're just stuck to me and then I carry them with me for the rest of my life. I used to say this thing when I was a, when I was a kid. My mother, I think, taught me this. Help me out here. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. Which actually isn't true, is it? It's, it's not true. I like this phrase a little better. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage. Words matter, and when those words stick to us or we carry them throughout our lives, they, they influence us, right? Uh, there are things, I, so I see a counselor pretty regularly, and uh, I actually saw him this week, and we were talking about times when, like, when I was younger, and, um, 
and we were talking about some things that, that I remember from when I was a kid, and those words that kind of stick to you. Words matter. The words we say matter. The words that we take to heart matter. The words that we carry with us in that backpack of words throughout our life, they, they matter. And today, I want to take a look at the scripture passage in Matthew 9. I want to give you some lenses. So I think Tim does this a lot. Um, he gives you different lenses to look at the scripture with, right? Because we are looking through lenses. We were taught to see the scripture a particular way. There's a story maybe that you've known and, and then someone comes along and says, hey, you should look at that story with these lenses on. I know this next couple weeks in Israel, Tim's gonna do that a lot. He's gonna say to people, you've heard it said, uh, but I see, well, Jesus said that. But they'll do something like that, right? To say, well, you've always understood this passage this way, but let me give you a little different lenses. And they'll get different lenses just because they're standing you won't even have to say a word. They're standing in a spot where they'll go, oh my goodness, a different lens. So I'm gonna give you a lens this morning. Uh, we're gonna look at a passage. It's not very long. Uh, it has a lot of people in it though. And it has a lot of dialogue in it. And different people say different things. And so the lens we're gonna look at it today is we're gonna look at it through the lens of the dialogue that happens. And then I'm gonna try to bring, draw something out from that dialogue. And so what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, we're gonna get a little interactive here uh, as we read the scripture. Um, so it'll come up on the screen. And when someone says something, I want you to raise your hand, okay? It'll be easy, okay? No worries. So here we go. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, good job, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and, here's one, a little harder one, spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. We don't know what he said. Nothing there. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Now, what I could do is I could have a couple of you come up here and act this out this morning, but I won't do that. There's a bunch of actors though, aren't there? A bunch of actors, a bunch of sayers, a bunch of speakers. There's lots of dialogue going on here. And I want to pay attention to the dialogue this morning. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice who speaks, and I want you to notice what they speak and what the meaning is in what they speak. And then what I want to do is I want to take that and I want to see the differences in the speech and the dialogue, see if we notice something. And then I want to see if it has something to do with us as we move to the end. So let's start with the blind men. The blind men starts here. They cried out to him saying, son of David, have mercy on us. So first what you need to notice is this isn't like mumbling under the voice and saying, Jesus, would you please come say it? No, they, they cry out to Jesus. They're, they're not quiet about it. Uh, and remember, these men are blind, so they don't know who's around them. They don't know who's listening. It might not be a safe place to cry out, but they cry out anyway. It's, it's a kind of a, a prayer, right? Because crying out to God is, is prayer. 
But this isn't the kind of prayer where you fold your hands and ask God to bless your meal or make sure that your kids have Christian spouses or make sure that you get a good parking spot at Target. No, these men are desperate. They haven't been able to see. They've been blind and they, and they cry out to Jesus and they cry out, Son of God, have mercy on us. Now think about that phrase, first of all, son of God. Let me ask you a question. You, you've heard the Christmas story. Who is Jesus' dad? It's not a trick question. I know Mary's, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin, but who was Jesus' dad growing up? Joseph, right? Joseph. So in, uh, in Jesus' time and even after that, a person would be named by their, by their relationship to their father. So I would be Thomas Bar Jerry. Bar means son of. So Jesus would be Jesus bar Joseph, right? Interestingly, you'll never find that phrase in the New Testament. In fact, only once, I think, uh, Jesus is referred to as the son of Joseph, and it's when they, and they don't use that phrase. They say, isn't this the carpenter's son that we know from Galilee? But instead, you will find this. You'll find Jesus referred to as the son of God, as the son of man, as the son of David, and these blind men choose that when they cry out to Jesus. They say, son of David. Now, son of David is not just a, it's not just a, a name calling. It's not just a, a trite thing you would say. In fact, in their time, it's either the most amazing thing you've ever heard or it's heretical. And there's not much difference between the two. And remember, the blind men can't see, so they don't know who's around them. And so they could be challenged for heresy because of this because what they're saying is that Jesus is the son of the great high God. He is the Messiah who has come to save them. He's the one who's come to rescue them from their persecutors. In this case, it would be Rome. Before that, it was Syria. Before that, it was Babylon. This is a big deal, what they're saying. They're not just throwing casual words into the wind. They're saying something extremely bold. So let's just stop there for a moment because this is the first response of the four that I'm gonna look at in this passage. And, and, and I think what happens here is the blind men have a kind of vulnerability, a kind of trust. And think about uh, trusting in a situation like this. You can't see, you don't know who's around. Uh, you're calling out on Jesus. There's this sense of, of vulnerability. They place themselves in a vulnerable position. Uh, they could be challenged. They could be stoned for heresy. People could say, oh, be quiet. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with you. There's lots of things that could happen but there's vulnerability there and they put themselves out there. They, they let go of control. And that's what trust is, isn't it? Trust, real trust, doesn't second guess. It doesn't create parentheses or footnotes or caveats or well, maybes or well, if nots or maybe Jesus if you don't want to. So have you ever prayed like this? Something big is going on in your life. Maybe somebody's sick or... Uh, there's a pregnancy that's not going right, or you know, there's something you say, Jesus, would you please show up and would you heal? But only if it's your will. Right? Have you done that? And I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not the same as what's happening to the blind men here. There is no footnote. There's no parentheses. It's what I would call a bold vulnerability. Now those words don't always, again, word nerd, bold and vulnerability don't necessarily go together, do they? But they do in this sense. The blind men have a bold vulnerability. They put themselves out there without any protection. 
They're bold about it and they're vulnerable about, about it. And isn't that really what trust is? In fact, again, to get into words, the word trust and the word faith are different in the English language, but not in the Bible. In the Bible, faith is trust. It's a, it's a vulnerability. It's a bold vulnerability. And this is what's happening here with these blind men. They're trusting boldly. It's like, a, I'm sure you've seen movies, or maybe this has happened to you, you know, where uh, maybe it's a coming-of-age movie and there's a bully, you know, and then at some point, the little scrawny guy, that was me in middle school, you know, I was a little scrawny guy. You know, the little scrawny, I never did this, though. I didn't have enough boldness in me. Uh, the little scrawny guy steps up for the first time, puffs his chest out, and like stands up to the bully. You're like, ah, oh, that's bold and completely vulnerable because he's gonna get it now, right? That's what trust is. It's putting yourself out there without, guard, without a guard. You don't know what's going to happen, but you boldly step in. Crazy different example. Uh, JFK, 1961, says, we are going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade. Did he know that was gonna happen? Not necessarily, but bold vulnerability. Put himself out there, let go of control. I love what these blind men are doing. There's no hedging, him hawing, kowtowing, or second guessing. It's like someone saying, I'm gonna change the world and believing it and never stepping back from it. It's like saying, Jesus is gonna show up. You just watch. Maybe you've been in a scenario like that before and you're praying and you're with family maybe and you're praying for someone and, and, and one of your relatives is the bold one. You watch, you watch. Jesus is gonna show up and there's no second guessing. It's a bold vulnerability. And these men with bold vulnerability that, that put themselves out there and trust, they put themselves in the hand of Jesus and Jesus responds to them. And Jesus says these words. He says, do you believe I can do this? It's almost like Jesus says, this bold vulnerability, I just want to, I don't know if it's real. I want to know, do you really, really trust me? Do you really believe that I can do this? In, in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus asks a little bit different question in this story. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He, he goes out, he says, is this real? Like, do you really trust me this much? And now look at their answer. Their answer is a strong affirmative. Yes, but not just yes. Yes, Lord. It's the word curio. It's the word master, king, boss. Like, yes, we trust you. We submit everything to you. We give everything to you. We don't hedge our bets. We give it all. We trust with a bold vulnerability, a strong affirmative without the hint of a qualifier or the faint scent of a maybe, just a solid yes followed by the punctuated Lord. Now I look at that and I go, ah, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had the kind of bold vulnerability that those men had, that, that when, when I need Jesus, which I do all the time, and I recognize it, and I cry out to him, that I wouldn't hedge my bets, that I would step out in vulnerability, no walls, believing, Lord, you can. Not only can you, but will you do I often don't do that. I recognize I'm, I'm not as strong a follower maybe as these guys are. And so I, I love seeing their faith. And Jesus says these words, which are powerful. He says, according to your faith or your trust, let it be done to you. Jesus says, you, you've stepped out totally with no hedging, 
And so may it be done to you. Jesus recognizes the bold vulnerability and he responds to them in a powerful way. It's a great, it's a great story. But we're not all there. So let's step into the next part of the dialogue. Here's the second one. Uh, second one, a mute man possessed by a demon is brought to Jesus. It says this, a man who was demon-possessed and could not walk or could not talk was brought to Jesus. Now, I want to point out a couple interesting things about this man. First of all, I'm not sure he wanted to come to Jesus. Scripture doesn't say he did. It just says some people brought him to Jesus. It made me sort of think of my childhood. My parents would be like, we're going to church. I'm like, do we have to? You know, my parents brought me, you know? Um, and there were other times in my life where people have brought me to Jesus. There have been times when I've been walking away from Jesus and my friends have grabbed me and brought me back and I didn't always want to go. And what's really interesting about this is not only does he um, not go to Jesus himself, someone brings him, he doesn't respond in any way to Jesus that we, that we have recorded here. And Jesus doesn't really say much to him. Sometimes I think in my Christianity, like I want Jesus, Jesus is going to give him a sermon first and make sure that he does, you know, he can't speak, so it'd be rude to ask for him to say something, but he could ask him to nod his head or, you know, raise his hand or do, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus doesn't give him a sermon. Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask if he believes that he's the Messiah. What does Jesus do? He heals him. He heals him. No questions asked. In fact, the man doesn't even ask for healing. Maybe the friends do, but they bring this man to Jesus and Jesus is just what I like to call grace forward. Jesus just responds with pure grace to this man. He doesn't require anything from him. He doesn't have to do anything to deserve it. Jesus just responds. And I love that about the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the only story either. Lots of other stories in which Jesus just, grace forward, grace forward, you didn't even ask, and I am going to bless you. But the second thing about this exchange that bothers me is uh, that this guy said something. Matthew tells us he said something. But notice, he doesn't record it, does he? I wonder why that is. And we don't know. We can speculate. Um, as I was thinking about it and wrestling, I thought, Forgive me for this, but maybe he said something really stupid. <laughs> and Matthew's like, I'm not going to write that down. Because sometimes doesn't Jesus do things for us and bless us and we don't even know? And we don't even pay attention or we're not grateful? And we see that a number of times in the Bible, right? People don't respond the way that they should respond, that our mamas taught us to respond, right? I don't know how he responded. Maybe he didn't know what to say. Maybe he was just reeling because he got unexpected grace and he didn't know how to respond and he didn't want to go in the first place. It's kind of like going to the thing. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's a retreat. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's something. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and you didn't expect Jesus to show up because you went for other reasons because somebody dragged you along. And then Jesus shows up and does something in your heart and you're like, I don't even know what to say. It's an incredible moment. There's so much there that we don't, that we don't know Demon is cast out of me, speaks again. So that's the second one. Let me take you to the third one. Third one is this. Now the crowds see all this happening and they say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. You see, they're standing there and they watch, they see the blind man healed. They see the demon-possessed mute man healed. And they say, wow, this is incredible. Did you see that? Did you just see what happened? That was amazing. 
This is incredible. But there's something missing. Something missing. But you have to read slow enough and you have to pay attention. There's something missing here. Uh, years ago, uh, there's a, a movie, really good movie, and for those of us on the B side, we'll remember it. <laughs> Most of you, other, others may not. It's a story of, of a man who was born with a uh, major physical deformation. He had a, his head, he had a larger skull. His face was uh, malformed. Uh, he was a very gentle, beautiful man, uh, but, um, but he was, people began to call him the elephant man. Uh, that's the name of the movie. And he began to be exploited, and, uh, and there were people who would say, like, hey, you got to come see this, uh, and, you, and they would take money for it. And then he became a part of the circus, and he was exploited, and he was taken advantage of, and he became a, a spectacle for people to see. In fact, circuses for a long time had these kinds of spectacles that you could go see. Now, hopefully, we don't um, do that to people anymore. I hope not. And yet, aren't we fans of the spectacle? I won't make you raise your hand here, but is anybody on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook? Isn't it amazing how often we see a spectacle or somebody sees a spectacle and then we have to tell everybody about the spectacle and we put it out there and we, we show everybody what's going on? We're, you know, as humans, we love the spectacle. We love the miracle that happened. You know, we heard this person, you know, was healed and, or this amazing, there was an incredible car crash and look at the car and how terrible it is and can you believe that he lived through it. Like, okay, so we share the spectacle. It's amazing. But I want you to notice something. There's something very different about what the crowds do and what the blind men do. Notice this. The blind men spread the news and the crowds spread the news. But there are two key differences. The blind men are focused on Jesus with bold vulnerability and trust and submission The crowds are focused on the spectacle and they tell everyone about it. The blind men spread the news about Jesus. The crowds spread the news about the spectacle. And don't lose this because this happens all throughout the scriptures. There are those who respond to Jesus and they say, you're my Lord and you're my Savior and they fall at his feet and they enter in bold vulnerability. And then there are those who go, he's a done these amazing things. You should come see what he did. There's the woman at the well, and she goes to tell her friend, she says, come meet a man who told me everything about myself. You've got to meet Jesus. And then there are others who are saying, well, you've got to see these spectacles that happen. It's kind of like going on a a retreat. Uh, Let's say you go on a powerful retreat, and, uh, and there are two people that respond to the retreat. One person responds and said, oh man, the band was awesome, and the speaker was amazing. We played these incredible games, and like the hair went up on the back of my neck during the last song. It was powerful. And then you have someone else who said, like, I don't know what happened, but somehow I met Jesus. There's a difference, isn't there? It's a huge difference. In fact, I wonder sometimes how much of our Christianity has become about the spectacle and not about the person of Jesus. Let's go to the fourth one. That was number three. Fourth and last one, and then I'll wrap it up with some, hopefully some helpful things. Fourth response is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say this. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. If we have bold, vulnerable trust in the blind men, 
If we have an unrecorded response from an uninvited healing in the man who can't speak, who has a, a demon inside of him, uh, a spectator reaction from the sidelines of the crowds, then this one I'll call the skeptically suspicious. The Pharisees react with skeptical suspicion. Now, you might know this person, or you might be this person. I've been this person, and I'm still often this person. In fact, I was telling someone my, uh, my story of faith this past week, and I was reminded of a time when I was very skeptically suspicious, and I had a different answer for everything than the answer that Jesus gives. And I always came up with something else, a skeptically suspicious, and I still fall into this today. Someone might say to me, oh, it's a miraculous healing of God. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, but it was good doctors too, you know. Yes, but sometimes I get skeptically suspicious about what God is doing. And, and, and this is interesting. It's, if you've got a bold, vulnerable trust on the side of the, the blind men, here you've got uh, fear of vulnerability, Right? Maybe, if you're the skeptically suspicious, maybe it's because you've been hurt before, and so you build up walls to protect you. Or maybe you, don't, you just don't like to be out of control, and saying, Master or Lord, puts you completely out of control. So you hold the control close. And you, you begin to build walls of skepticism. And, you know, if you have been hurt before, you know, you've probably heard this phrase, or you've felt this yourself, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on... Me, right? Well, when I've been hurt, I put up walls and then I'm not gonna be boldly vulnerable anymore. In fact, I'm not gonna be vulnerable at all. I'm gonna maintain composure and control. Or as the, the great 80s band, Great White, once said, once bitten, twice shy. Again, B-side people. We remember the 80s. Now, I don't wanna be too hard on the Pharisees because I'm often a Pharisee. I've been a Pharisee I fall into being a Pharisee. Lots of my friends are Pharisees. Many of us in this room are Pharisees. And we don't want to be burned again and we don't want to be hurt again or we don't want to be hurt for the first time. And so we build up walls and we come up with excuses and explanations and we remain in control. I'm safe over here. I've seen the spectacle. I've seen people get manipulated by the spectacle and I don't want to be manipulated by the spectacle. So I'm just going to stay over here and I'm I'm going to stay safe here. There must be some other explanation, says the Pharisee. Maybe he's in league with the prince of demons and that's why he can't drive out demons. I'm gonna say something really strong because that's a lot safer bet than the danger of yes, Lord. Now, I love the Bible. I hope you do too. The Bible's full of all kinds of wonderful things. A few weeks ago, Tim was preaching and he, he mentioned that, that I, I, I tell you to read the Bible slow. And I said it again earlier, you've got to read the Bible slowly because there's so much beauty in it, so much beauty in it. What I don't want us to do is to do our quiet time in the morning and like the pills you, uh, or vitamins you have to pop to just take those and check them off the list and move on. We have to read our Bible slow and enter into it because there's some amazing things in there and God is speaking to you. So I was, uh, I mentioned I was traveling uh, this past week and I was in uh, in an airport in Budapest waiting to get out this past uh, Tuesday or Monday night, I guess it was. And uh, I got to my room and it was strange. The room was strange. It was all white and black, uh, mostly white. And and painted on the walls were paper airplanes and like little trajectories. And then up on the wall uh, in front of me was this, 
Can you pull up that next that picture? Was this. See, those are all paper airplanes, different folds of paper airplanes, different sizes. And then above it was a little phrase that said, SMS to paper airplanes. I'm like, what? This is not intuitive to me. SMS, if you're not aware, it's, a kind, it's part of, I don't understand how technology works, but SMS is one of the ways we do texting. If you have an iPhone, I think you don't use this. I don't know. Anyway, SMS to airplanes. So I'm, what on earth is this? So I Google it, because of course, that's where you find all your answers, right? And I find out that a guy named Christian Grobe, uh, he's, a, he's an artist, and he did an installation art piece with paper airplanes, and it was inspired by uh, some conversations he had with his wife when she was on the other side of the world, and they created, this, um, they, they created this coding language for their love letters to each other back and forth. And they wrote 369 love letters back and forth in this kind of code. I still haven't cracked the code. I don't understand it. Uh, doesn't matter. Why am I telling you this? <laughs> because here's the deal. Your father in heaven is sending you love letters all the time. And he has sent you love letters. The scripture is God's love letters to you. And yeah, sometimes it's in a bit of code. But he's also giving you the ability to read that code and to understand that code. He's giving you an intellect. He's giving you a community. And beyond that, he's giving you the Holy Spirit in your heart to read and decode the scriptures he's given to you. So you cannot wake up every morning and pop your scripture like a vitamin and check it off your list. You have to sit in and dwell with the love letter that God has given to you. And so read your scripture slow, but I want you to do something else too. I want you to hear the loving words of your father in this story. I know, uh, I think maybe Tanner Smith uh, introduced you at one point, some of you who were here when he preached uh, last year sometime, uh, to an an Ignatian practice. Um, St. Ignatius had a practice that he called immersive Bible reading. And it's when you use your imagination to enter into the story. So instead of reading the Bible as an object, tearing it apart as an intellectual exercise, entering, instead entering into the story. It's kind of like uh, if there were a movie screen and they call that the fourth wall, it'd be like breaking through the fourth wall and entering into the movie. And so Ignatius invites you and I to enter into the story. And if, um, if we were on a retreat, I would probably take you through that process and I would tell you this story in a little wider way and I would ask you, what do you smell? What do you see? What do you hear? Uh, and we would kind of try to, Tim's going to the land. We would try to enter into the land through our imagination. And after that, I would ask you uh, a couple questions and these are questions like the ones Ignatian, Ignatius would ask is, uh, who am I in this story? You see there, I've introduced you to several characters with several different responses to Jesus. And I wonder who are you in, are you in the story? Have you stepped forward? Do you step forward regularly in bold vulnerability when you encounter Jesus and you say, yes, Lord, whatever. I submit to you no matter what's gonna happen with no walls. Or has someone dragged you to Jesus and you, you've been Dragged to Jesus all your life. Or maybe you're newly dragged to Jesus. Maybe you were dragged here this morning. Maybe, maybe Jesus wants you to recognize this morning the blessings and the goodness he's poured out on you without you even asking. And all he wants to hear you say is, thank you. Or maybe you say something stupid and no one will record it because you don't know how to respond to that kind of grace-forward attitude of Jesus that's undeserved. 
Or maybe you've been around Christianity all your life and you've been a spectator and Christianity has been a spectator sport and you've been watching and you've been to the retreats and you've been to the church services and you've been to the concerts of an andal of the bands coming around and you're like, I'm doing the spectacle thing and I love it. I love watching that over there. And you've told people about it. You should go and see the spectacle. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Or maybe you're the Pharisee and you're, erecting walls and you have been erecting walls and you've been, you've been putting those up for all of your life because you don't want to get hurt again. The second question is this one, which is a harder one. Uh, it is, what is God saying to me? Now, here's what I believe about the Bible. Not everybody believes this, but I believe, it's not just about the Bible, it's about God. We uh, celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. Remember that? What words do we say often on Easter to one another? Jesus is risen, right? Is he still risen? Is Jesus actually alive? Or is this just a dead book that we read? <laughs> is Jesus really alive? Because if Jesus is really alive and Jesus wants to communicate to us and the Father in heaven and Jesus have given us the love letters with the uncoding of the Holy Spirit to be able to guide us in that, that maybe Jesus is actually still speaking to us. See, here's what Ignatian believed. Ignatian believed that if you entered into the story and you imagined yourself as the person in the story that, that you really actually relate to, that's really you, and that in that moment, if you said, Jesus, speak to me, that the alive Jesus post-resurrection actually speaks. I wonder if you could believe this morning that Jesus has a word for you today. That Jesus is speaking to your heart, directly to your heart. That he wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to hear his words of grace. And so ask yourself these questions this morning. Am I like the blind man who have bold, radical, vulnerable trust, who submit themselves to the simple yes to their Lord, experience his healing power and spread the good news of the gospel about him to everyone they meet? Is that you? Are you like the mute man that Jesus heals? Maybe you've said nothing to Jesus. Maybe someone, a friend, your parents brought you to Jesus and he just healed you and blessed you and gave you good things because he's good and you're not quite sure what to say. Are you like the crowds? Have you been in spectator Christianity? You've been around Jesus? You've watched Jesus? You've watched other people respond to Jesus? You've told people about Jesus? But you haven't really said, yes, Lord? You're like the Pharisees? Have you erected walls of protection, suspicion, control, skepticism? Have you kept Jesus as an arm length, at arm's length because you've got better explanations for the healing? than that he actually is healer of the broken, restorer of the fallen, giver of sight to the blind, giver of hearing to the deaf, giving, giver of words to the mute, savior of the world. Maybe you have a better story. <laughs> I like that one a lot better. So find yourself in the story and then be, on, and be honest with that because it matters. And then listen. Because I, do, I promise you this morning, it's been my experience as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it's been my experience that if you ask, he will answer. That if you seek him, 
You'll find him. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe there are things that are getting in the way. And it's okay wherever you're at. If you, did you notice there's a spectrum, right? There's, there's a blind man over here, bold vulnerability. Then there's a person being dragged to Jesus. Then there's the spectators. Then there's those who push Jesus away. You can be anywhere on the spectrum. It's okay. Jesus meets everyone right where they're at. But then he invites them to something. He invites them to step forward. For the blind men, he says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep trusting me. I promise. I won't let you down. To the mute man, he says, "Uh, I've given you good things. I love you. I'll continue to give those to you. You have an opportunity to step in and be a part of this. He's waiting for you to step in. To the the crowds, you're invited to step out of the crowds, out of the spectator, and step into a friendship and a relationship with Jesus that's not standing on the outside looking in, but is on the inside connected to Jesus. And if you're a Pharisee, I think Jesus is saying, what are you afraid of? You can trust me. I know it's scary, and you don't have to give it to me all at once. You don't have to be the, the blind man. That's okay. Just give me a little bit. Just give me a little bit of trust. I'll take a little bit and we'll grow, we'll grow from there. I'll earn your trust as we go. But the thing is, the choice is yours. So this morning, I want you to take that choice wherever you are in that spectrum because I think we can all find ourselves there somewhere. What is Jesus asking you to do? What is he inviting you into And then what are you going to do about it this morning? We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Communion is the table of Jesus. And that table is open to you, and he's invited all of you and all of us and me too. He's invited us, whether we're blind men, whether we're uh, the mute man being dragged, whether we're the crowds on the outside, whether we're the Pharisees, we're all invited to the table of Jesus. Jesus says, come, I want you to be at my table. And I want you to think about this as we come to the table this morning. Um, As you come, what are you stepping into? If you're stepping into this maybe for the first time, maybe you've come to the table many times, but you really haven't said yes, Lord, to Jesus, I would love you to do that this morning. One one of the things we do every year in August, we have a baptism service, which is an opportunity to mark that moment of saying yes to Jesus. If you've never marked that moment and you want to, we want to invite you to do that. We want to invite you to say yes. You don't have to be baptized in the, in the lake. You can say yes to Jesus. Maybe, maybe someone when you were really little, uh, so when I was an infant uh, up at Ferris State University, my parents were going to school there. Mom was a hairdresser. My dad was part-time cop. Uh, and they had little me. And they took me to their church and they stood on the stage with the pastor and they made promises and they heard the promises of God for me to say yes to Jesus. But there was a point when I was 19 years old when I said yes to Jesus. I had to say yes. I had to profess, yes, Lord. Before that, I, I was near, I was around, I was watching But there was a point when I had to profess and say, yes, Lord. Maybe today is that day for you. Maybe you've done that before and you're just reaffirming that. The table is an opportunity to reaffirm, to say, I've said yes long ago and I said yes again and I say yes every time I come to the table and it's a time to reaffirm that. If 
this is the first time for you saying yes to Jesus, uh, I would love to talk to you about that um, and talk to you about how, what are some next steps around that. I think that's really important. Um, so I'm gonna pray and then, uh, and then we'll move into a time of communion. Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, we thank you for sending Jesus, your son. Thank you for sending him to die on the cross for our sins. We didn't, you, I didn't use the word sins today in the sermon, but sin is anything that gets between us and you. And some of us have had barriers in between us and you for a long time. And you've said that uh, even when we can't remove those barriers, you will do it in the name of Jesus. And so we thank you this morning that Jesus has stepped into the gap between us and that even when we had nothing to say and we couldn't speak and we couldn't find the words to even profess, yes, Lord, you healed us anyway and you saved us anyway for you so loved us that you gave your only son so that we might be saved. And we celebrate that this morning. I pray, Father, for those of us this morning who are wondering in our hearts, do we have enough courage to be like the blind men and to say, yes, Lord, would you give us a bold vulnerability to place our trust in you? Pray these things in the name and the power of Jesus the Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed by his friends, in fact, there were people around his table that betrayed him. Jesus was with his friends and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you every time. Every time you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, which was called the cup of blessing, and he poured it out for them. And he said, this is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time that you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The bread that we break, the cup that we bless, is the, our communion with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.